Well, good morning. It is good to see so many of you here. Good morning to those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you found us and that you're worshiping with us right now or at some point in the future. As we begin this morning, i got to share with you, this is sort of a special day for me personally and for my family, but also for us as a family of families. And most of you probably wouldn't know this, but February 19th, 2018 was my first official day as the senior pastor of Linwood Wesleyan Church. And so this is a five-year anniversary, and that's significant in a number of ways. Uh, But as I was thinking back on that this week, it struck me that I've never hit the five-year mark in anything but college, right? How many, anybody got an amen for that? But I've worked at four and a half years, several places. I was four and a half years at the first church. We had attended for seven or eight years before that, but were called to a different church before we reached the five-year mark there. And, and sort of overlapping some of that before I was called to ministry. I was four and a half years as an insurance agent with a big company, but I've never made it to five years. And uh, a lot of pastors tell me there's something kind of magical or spiritually significant that takes place uh, when a pastor and a church are together for five years. So let me just tell you, we love Linwood. Our family loves Linwood. I love being your pastor. We love coming to church here, and we love the community of Sioux Falls. I probably don't say it enough, but I love you. I love each and every one of you, and I love being your pastor. And I'm so excited at what I sense is coming in the next season. I'm so grateful for what God has done and is doing and what I sense is coming in the next season together. And so, Lord willing, we hope to be here for a very, very long time, and we're grateful to be your pastor and to be part of this family of families. So thank you. I was thinking about this month, you know, and we talked about insomnia and almost 400 young people, and there were dozens of adult leaders, thank God, that that also came and were a part of that. But I'm so thankful to be a part of a church. Just as I look at at the calendar for the month of February, we have events for every age group, and we prioritize the whole spectrum. A lot of churches focus in on one specific generation or demographic, and I feel like God has really called us to welcome everybody and to help them be embraced into a family of families. I love our mission here at Linwood to reach people for Christ, whether that's young people through Kidsway or students through LSM or a a district-wide event like Insomnia or families in providing great places for their kids and their students and their adults to learn and grow together or our seniors with Seniors on the Go. We had an event with almost 100 people at Seniors on the Go at the beginning of this month as well. I'm just thankful to be a part of a church that is intentional and reaching all of those people, giving them a place to belong and helping them grow in their faith. And it's happening. It's happening. And we are increasingly becoming that family of families that we strive to be. And so we're starting a new sermon series. Last week we started a new sermon series. We're continuing that today. And it was a series titled Kingdom Power. And we're looking at 2 Timothy, the the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, the second of two. That's why we call it 2 Timothy. And in that letter, he's reminding and encouraging Timothy to stand firm in the face of suffering, to press on, to persevere, to be faithful in the midst of persecution. And I subtitled this series, Unleashing the Power of God in Our Lives. Unleashing the Power of God's Kingdom in Our Lives. And if you were here last week, you know that I encouraged you to pick one of four levels of engagement. 
And I talked about something else along with those levels of engagement. Do you remember what it was? It was a statement of intent. How many of you made a statement of intent? Wow, that's a little discouraging. I, I, I see three. Two of them are on staff. Okay, come on. I'm going to go ahead and guess that if you did make a statement of intent, that you followed through. That you followed through, because that's what a statement of intent helps us to do. It helps us to follow through. We say, I will do this at this time or in this place, and then it actually happens. It's amazing. Psychology has affirmed this over and over and over again. Those four levels, it's not too late. It's not too late to make a statement of intent. You can make one today. I would encourage you to write it down, and I would encourage you to show it to somebody. Show it to your spouse if you're that bold and brave. They'll remind you, I guarantee you. Show it to the person sitting next to you. Post it on your social media if you really want to get crazy. But the four levels of engagement are first to commit to attend or watch all four weeks. Now, these are designed that wherever you are in your spiritual walk, you could make a commitment to one of these levels of engagement, and it would help you take a next step. So if church is not a regular part of your life, then level one is for you. Make it commitment to be here four weeks in a row. I talked to somebody before the first service. They don't even live here. They live 30 miles away, and they were visiting last weekend, and they decided that they would make the commitment to be here all four weeks, and they drove 30 miles this morning, and we're here. And I said, amen. Praise the Lord for that. So if, make, if church is not a priority in your life right now, or it hasn't been in this most recent season of your life, then level one might be for you. Make it a, a commitment to be here for four weeks in a row. And if you can't be here physically, join us online during that time, wherever you are. Somebody else in the first service told me they watched the service in a hot tub last week because they were on vacation. And they're like, oh, with the time change, service is starting. So they got their phones out and they watched service live. We had people in a hot tub last week worshiping with us. I say praise God to that. The second level would be to read, to pray, to study through a chapter of 2 Timothy each week. So last week, it would have been chapter 1. This week would be chapter 2. If you missed last week, you could do both of them. This week, you'd be all caught up. If reading and studying through a chapter of God's Word in a given week is not a normal part of your life, then this would be a good commitment for you to make. And it will bear fruit in your life. And I talked to somebody between, uh, it was last Wednesday, that had made that decision, and they had their Bible all marked up, and they had written a few questions, and they had underlined some things. And I was like, wow, praise the Lord. He's like, I've never done that before, but it was really cool. I read it in several different translations, and I noticed the differences, and I thought how that different one spoke to me a little bit more than others. So that's level two. Level three, if you've never memorized God's Word, this one would be for you. There's two passages of two verses each, okay? So a total of four verses. You can do this. I guarantee you can do this. Just write it down every day for 30 days, and you'll have it. Memorize 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which we talked about last week, and memorize 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which we'll be talking about next week. Spoiler alert. Come anyway. Now, the last one would be have at least... One, spiritual conversation with at least one person about what you're learning. So if you do all three, then go ahead and finish out level four and have a conversation with somebody about what you learned, about something that you saw in Scripture. Pray that the Holy Spirit would show you or open a door for you with somebody that you love or care about or even a perfect stranger that you could have a spiritual conversation about what you're learning. Maybe God will even set the table so much that somebody is really struggling or is suffering. You say, you know, my church has just been doing a sermon series on a letter that Paul wrote to, to somebody he knew to encourage them to be faithful in suffering. Can I tell you a little bit about what I learned in that? And then get your Bible out. It's that easy. It's that simple. So whichever, whichever one is a step for you, I would encourage you to take that step. 
And I would encourage you to make a statement of intent so that it will actually happen. Last week, we began this series with a message titled, Love is Powerful. In fact, we commented, and I would say again and affirm to you again, that love is the most powerful force in the universe. I say that without even a shred of doubt in my mind. Because Scripture tells us God is love, and God is the most powerful force in this universe. And He chooses to do what He does through love. He loves us so much, and his love is powerful. And our bottom line last week was that God's love is powerful in us. It changes us. It can transform us. It can transform our hearts. It can make us more like Jesus. It can bring healing to addiction and to trauma that we have experienced in our lives. God's love is powerful in us, but it's also powerful through us. That as it makes that change in us, as it's powerful in us, it has the ability to be powerful through us in the lives of others. That we are intended to be conduits of God's love, to flow into our lives and through our lives. We're to be rivers, not reservoirs. Some people kind of have the idea that I just need to build a bigger dam and get as much of God's love as I possibly can for myself. And he says, no, 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 no. It's to be a river. Let my love flow through you into the lives of others. Watch them flourish as my love flows through you into their life. That's the game plan. God's love is powerful in us, and it's powerful through us. And so before we move on to week two, I want to remind you of something else that I told you last week, and that's this idea of kingdom. It's really important that we understand is we're talking about kingdom power, and we're talking about unleashing the power of God's kingdom in our lives. That kingdom in the biblical sense is not just a political designation. It's not just boundaries, political boundaries. That kingdom in the biblical sense is an order of authority, so the kingdom of God is the order of authority of God. It's the dominion of God extending into the world through us, his followers. In fact, one definition that you would find in a biblical dictionary of this word that we translate as kingdom is royal power. Don't you love that? Royal power. That there is royal power available to the kids of the kingdom, to the ambassadors for Christ that we're called to be, that as we are the hands and feet of Christ, as we choose to love others as he has loved us, that there is power available to us in doing that. And that that power can flow into us and change us, but it can flow through us and unleash spiritual kingdom power in the lives of others. And that, that is good news. So today we're going to move on to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, and a message titled, Remembering is Powerful. Remembering is Powerful. Some of you are like, oh no, I have a hard time remembering things. Somebody told me between services that as soon as I said that, they remembered something they were supposed to do yesterday, and they were feeling terrible about it. And I said, well, just move on. Better luck next week. It'll be okay. Remembering is powerful, especially when you remember the most important things. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. At least there should be. All right, I was responsible for resetting the sanctuary after they had pulled all the chairs over to the sides and they brought in these huge inflatables and they had nine square going. I mean, this place was totally transformed. I guarantee you it looks better in this church right now than it did at 5.30 on Saturday morning when I arrived to help clean up and reset things. But praise the Lord, it smells better too. I can promise you that. But let me tell you, I can't think of of 
of anything I am more grateful for right now than to be a part of a church that will open its doors to almost 400 teenagers and present the gospel to them, even if something gets spilled, even if there's a scuff on the wall, even if it smells a little funky on Sunday morning. Because I would so much rather have that than some pristine cathedral that never gets used except for an hour or two on Sunday morning. So praise God that we threw our doors open for better or worse, and yes, there are a few, a few things that we know we need to patch up or a few stains we need to clean still. But praise God that it's getting used and that teens are coming together and experiencing the good news. So I think I was starting to tell you that page 1853 of the blue Bibles that are in the seats in front of you when I got off on that little rabbit trail... You can pick one of those up, turn to that page. If you're joining us online, we do put the scriptures on the screen behind me, um, and they'll be on the screen for you. But I always encourage you, have a Bible open on your lap. Underline something, circle it, engage scripture. Don't just listen to it. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I could call this maybe a reminder to remember. <laughs> it's a reminder to remember. The word remember is also finds itself in verse 6 of chapter 1. But here's what he says. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So what's Paul doing here? He's, he's reminding Timothy of something important, reminding Timothy that even though you're going to go through some suffering and you're going to go through some persecution, remember, remember Jesus. One, because Jesus suffered way more than we ever will. He was perfect. He was sinless. He got it right from the moment of his birth until the moment of his death. But also, in doing that, he delivered us from the sting of death, from the sting of sin. And we don't need to be afraid anymore. He's saying even when persecution comes, remember Jesus. In fact... The New Living Translation, which is the version I was reading, and that's why I mentioned that. It's the version I was reading this past fall when I read through 2 Timothy and got the idea for this series and saw the different elements that Paul seems to hold up as things that are really powerful for unleashing kingdom power in our lives. The New Living Translation says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. You don't need to be afraid of death, even in the face of persecution. Timothy, you don't need to be afraid. You see, Timothy was a, a, an understudy of Paul. They, Paul referred to him as his son in the spirit, and Timothy would have referred to Paul as a spiritual father. So they had a very powerful relationship. And Paul has just restated in the first seven verses of chapter 2 much of what he said in chapter 1, and he's reminding Timothy, he's reminding Timothy, he's reminding Timothy. He's saying, always remember and what does that mean? That word that we translate as remember means to hold in memory, to keep in mind, to call to mind. There's intentionality. I think that's why the New Living Translation added the word always. Always remember. Don't forget. And so this is something that is coming up often in Paul's letter to Timothy, but it, he's echoing Moses. When Moses was speaking to the people of God as they make their way into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy... He tells them to remember no less than 10 times. He tells them, don't forget another 10 times. He's saying, don't forget who God is. Don't forget who you are to him. Don't forget what's been done for you. Don't forget the way he delivered you from Egypt. Don't forget what's been done on your behalf. And Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy now. Don't forget. When it feels hopeless, don't forget 
whose you are. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't forget that death is not the end, that death is just ushering us into a new glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. He says, this is the gospel I preach. This is the good news that I preach, that Jesus was raised from the dead. The message says, fix this picture firmly in your mind. Fix this picture of Jesus overcoming sin and death on your behalf in your mind with intentionality. I was reminded that my first Easter here, I'd only been here about six weeks, but I preached a message on Easter, and the bottom line of that message was remember to remember the resurrection. Remember to remember the resurrection. Don't let it just be an Easter Sunday thing for you. Remember to remember the resurrection the next time you're in the valley, the next time you're feeling hopeless, the next time you're feeling discouraged. Remember to remember the resurrection, that sin has been defeated on our behalf. Remember the next time you go through a valley, because here's what I know. You have an enemy, and your enemy is going to try to get you to remember the last time you were in the valley, the next time you're in the valley. And he's going to try to convince you there's no point in going on with God. There's no point in in serving God and loving God and sacrificing for God, he's going to try to get you to to believe that by reminding you of all the other hard things. But if we choose instead to remember what God has done for us, to remember the mountaintop in our next valley, it will remind us that God is good. It will remind us that God is for us. It will remind us what's been done for us, and we can then climb that next hill and find that next mountaintop with God. So we must remember to remember. Now, I think it's unlikely that Paul actually thinks Timothy might forget Jesus. (laughs) That's kind of hard to imagine. So I think he's calling Timothy to remain mindful of the truths of the gospel. Don't forget. Don't forget the good news. It's kind of the way the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such shameful treatment from sinful men, lest you grow weary and lose heart. There's power in remembering. There's power in keeping that in front of us, fixing our attention on it. You see, I think Paul knew that remembering is powerful. I think he knew that, and I think he understood and he knew that what we remember matters. That's our bottom line today as we talk about how remembering is powerful. What we remember matters. What you remember in the next valley matters. Remember the mountaintop. Remember God's goodness. Call those things intentionally to mind whether you feel like it or not. Remembering matters. What we remember matters. Now, Dallas Willard told us in Life Without Lack, which we studied this past fall, that to remember doesn't just mean to call to mind intellectually. To remember means to live as if it's true. That's the truest sense of remembering, is to live as if it's true. To remember the good news is to live as if it's true to live as if it's true consistently and intentionally, to proclaim that good news. That's one of the best ways that we can remember the good news of the gospel is to share it with others, to proclaim it to others. That when we do that, we live as if it's true. Another way that we can live as if it's true is to have a deep and steady confidence in the power of God. 
That when we live as if it's true, that's what it means. We have a deep and steady confidence in the power of God. Even when things are going poorly for us, even when circumstances are not favorable, we choose to remember and have a deep and steady confidence in the power of God. We can also remember and live as if it's true by expressing deep gratitude for what's been done for us. I do this every day. I don't want to go through a day without remembering the good things. I start every day with a prayer journal and I write down three or more things from the day before, from the prior 24 hours that I'm thankful for. And I say, thank you, God, for, and I list them out. And it reminds me of something good from the day before. And that unleashes joy in my life. And that bears fruit in my life. And it would be the same for you. Remembering and living as if it's true is advanced by expressing gratitude for what God has done for us. And all of this, I think, leads us towards a deep trust in the sovereignty of God and his goodness. So even when we would say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket or whatever phrase you like to use there, and we look around us and we see all kinds of evidence for that, we can choose to remember that God is on the throne, that he is sovereign, and that we're his, and he's for us. So what can stand against us? So I think all that is involved in Paul exhorting Timothy to remember the gospel and the truths of the gospel, to live as if those are true. And I love this verse 9 as well. Paul relates it to his own experience. He says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word isn't chained. Paul is reminding himself that God's word isn't chained even though Paul is chained. That, that Paul had planted churches and was now writing letters to those churches to encourage the leaders and encourage the believers. And God's word is going forth. God's word is flourishing, even though Paul is in chains. And so he's reminding himself, as he reminds Timothy, that God's word is not chained. When we remember and we live as if it's true, it is unleashed in our lives and in the lives of others. It has the power to break every chain, to bring comfort and to bring peace so what we remember matters. We need to know it. We need to memorize it, and we need to remember it. We need to know God's Word because it has the power to encourage us even when nothing else can. Now, verse 10, moving along there, verse 10 has one of my favorite Bible words. If you've been around for a while, you know that I love the word therefore because therefore makes the application of the truth that we've just heard. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you should ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? What's it telling me that's important for me to know and helping me to understand what has just been said? He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's saying, because I remember, I endure. When I choose to remember, when I choose to remind myself, of the truths of the gospel, I can endure things that I wouldn't be able to endure otherwise. And I want to give a brief comment on his statement of the elect. There are varying interpretations of this, similar to when I preached on Hebrews chapter 6. There's kind of a wide spectrum of people and their understanding of election, and there's the doctrine of election uh, in some theological circles. And so I want to say that even though there are wide differences in how we can interpret that, it is crystal clear to me, and if we look at Scripture, it is crystal clear that Paul had no notion of a doctrine of election that would cause him to pull back from his calling. And that's an unfortunate outbirth of some ideas on election. They say, well, God has elected some to heaven and he's elected some to hell. And so people throw up their hands and say, well, then why evangelize? 
But we in the Wesleyan church would believe that God has chosen all of them and he has given us free will so we can choose him back or we can reject him. But he has chosen us. Some people don't know they're chosen. That's why we need to be busy in evangelism. That's why we need to tell people. God has chosen you. He has chosen you through Christ. He left heaven behind and came and lived a perfect sinless life and died on a cross for you. Died a gruesome, horrifying death. Overcame sin and death for us through, by resurrecting, overcoming the power of the grave. This is good news. And it's been done for you. Do you know it? Do you understand it? You see, it's crystal clear that Paul believed his response and his faithfulness mattered. And I believe my response to God choosing me through Christ matters. And I believe every single one of you, your response to what Jesus did for you matters. It matters for you and it matters for everybody you know. Because you are possibly the conduit through which the good news will reach someone in your life. And so... What we remember matters. It mattered to Paul. He endured everything for the sake of those who might hear and respond in faith, that they would obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He lived as if it was true, and he lived as if everybody needed to know. Whether he was in chains or in prison or not, he lived as if everybody needed to know that, and I believe we should too. Now, verse 11 through 13 caught me, and I thought, oh, this is fun. He says, here's a trustworthy saying, and he basically recites a little poem to him. He, he jots down a little poem. It, it kind of has, it cycles through some things. It has a poetic structure. We all know that, that sometimes poetry is easier to remember because the words rhyme or because there's an echo in what we're reciting. I think Paul maybe even wrote this little poem or copied it down from somebody else as a faithful saying, something that would fill us with faith. And so verses 11 through 13, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we died to ourselves, if we repented, turned from our sin, if we died to ourselves in baptism and came up to new life in Christ, then we're also going to live with him. We're going to live with him forever. If we endure, which he's just talked about enduring, we'll also reign with him. Now, if we disown him, he will disown us. If we choose to reject him completely and we turn apostasy, we repent of our repentance and we say it was all a sham and it was all a lie and we turn away from Jesus and we remain in that state, then he'll deny us too. If we're faithless, he'll remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. He ends on an upswing. How many of you have ever heard of the one-minute manager approach? Anybody? One-minute manager, just a few people that are in management. That's no surprise. The one-minute manager approach says that if you have a, an issue you need to address with somebody that you're managing or leading, you come to them, you start with something good. You say, hey, you're doing this thing over here really well. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're part of the team. Then you move to the thing that you need to address, right? However, I've noticed this little area that's not working out so well. We really need to address that. We need to bring that back up to speed. And then you finish on an upswing. You finish on... But hey, I'm so glad you're part of the team. I believe you can do this. I'm having this conversation because I'm convinced that you can take the next step and we can turn this around. That's the one-minute manager approach. You start with something good, you address what needs to be addressed, and you finish with something good. Paul kind of does the same thing here. He takes the one-minute manager approach with this little faithful, trustworthy saying. He says, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Man, that's good news. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's good news. If we disown him, 
he's going to disown us. That's the part we need to remember that as well. We need to hold that in our mind and, and stay faithful and keep growing in our faith. Because even if we're faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot disown himself. So to kind of bring that into understanding, there's a big difference between apostasy and momentary faithlessness or forgetfulness. That, that we, can, we can wander, we can lose our way and come back to Christ and move forward with him. That he is faithful. He cannot disown himself. He cannot disown what he has done for us. So we remember, we remember, we repent and we re-engage and he is faithful. He pardons, he restores, he keeps his promises to us. Now verse 14 starts a new section, but the reason I pulled it in here and included it is because I couldn't help but notice the first phrase in verse 14. What does the first phrase of verse 14 say? Remind, keep reminding them, your, your congregation, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about, his wor- about words. It's of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. He's basically saying, yes, I've been talking to you, Paul, but it's not just about you. It's about your congregation. Remind them of this good news. Remind them to remember Jesus and to remember the gospel and to live as if it's true. Keep reminding them of these things because we and others need to be reminded Sometimes we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Sometimes we need to be reminded what we heard last week more than we need to hear something new. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what is true about us more than we need to learn something new. He's saying remind them, remind them, remind them. Remind them to go on to maturity. Don't just camp out there forever. That was our whole last series, moving on to maturity with these elementary principles ever in mind. Choosing to live, not just that because it's true, but it's central. Choosing to live as if the gospel is central. This is one of our core values here at Linwood, that we would center our lives on the word. Not just pass through the word every now and then, a couple Sundays a month, but that we would plant our lives on the word. That we would bear fruit in the word. We define that as preaching, teaching, and applying God's word to our lives, to every aspect of our lives, doing that consistently and intentionally. You see, what we remember matters. It matters to us and it matters to others. And one of the most important things that you can remember is who you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, this is good news. And that's why I put these on the tables, or on the tables and on the, the chairs throughout the sanctuary. This is a sermon series that I preached the first summer that I was here. I still think it's one of the most important sermon series that I've ever created, ever preached. It was titled, What's True About You? And we looked at what's true about us. What is our identity as believers in Jesus Christ? If we are in Christ, these things are true about us. Things about who we are where we are, who's with us, and that in Christ, we're enough. I start every day with one of these statements. I have a total of eight of them. Five of them are listed here. I start every day by writing one of these out. Thank you, God, that I am a beloved child of yours in whom Christ dwells and delights. Thank you, God, that I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. Because sometimes when I read the news, sometimes when I hear about things that are happening, 
I need to be reminded that I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. I am a citizen of another kingdom. I'm a citizen of another world. And I need to be reminded of that. Sometimes I need to be reminded that even when I feel lost or I feel alone, I'm never lost or alone because Jesus is always with me and he is never lost. And let me tell you, if you're with somebody who's not lost, you ain't lost, right? Now, how many of you have seen The Lion King? <laughs> A lot more people have seen The Lion King than did the, what do we even have? Can we feel hear the love tonight? Can we feel the love tonight? Beautiful, thank you. That's awesome. Right after that song is where I was going with this. Right after that song, remember old Rafiki, the king's advisor, wise old Rafiki, finds Simba who has run from his past, who has run from his former life. And he sets the stage for, Mufa, uh, for Simba to have a little conversation with his dad, Mufasa. Do you remember what Mufasa says? He says, remember who you are. Don't forget. Don't forget who you are. And it's the turning point in the movie, and it's the turning point for the pride lands, and it's the turning point for everything in Simba's life. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. If you are in Christ, all of these things are true for you. Don't forget it. Start every day by writing one of these out. We've set up a special web page so you can listen to all the messages in this series. This was before we had any kind of video, but we have the audio recordings of that. You can go there. Those of you that are joining us online, there's a QR code on the screen. You can open up your camera app or you can go to that web address that's under there and it will take you to a page where you can download this handout. Those of you that are in the room here, there's handouts throughout the sanctuary. There's also some on the tables in the back. If you know somebody that struggles with their identity, then this is a gift that you can give them. You could even have a conversation with them on the back. There's some questions for personal reflection and group discussion. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are in Christ. And if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are not in Christ, or you're not even quite sure what that means, then this is available to you. This is available to you. And we would love to have a conversation with you about that. If you're watching online, comment in the, in the comments or send us a private message and we'll engage and we'll figure out a way to connect with you and to share this with you. If you're in the room here and you have questions about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, what it means to be in Christ, and come and see me afterwards or fill out a connection card. Do something to initiate that. We want to help you understand what it means to be in Christ and what's available to you in Christ. So as we close, remember, because what we remember matters. Live as if it's true that Jesus Christ died for you because it matters. It matters to you. It matters to everyone around you. And share it. Share it with others because others need to know. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for all the things that are true about us who are in Christ. Help us to remember, Lord. Help us to live as if it's true that you have overcome sin and death on our behalf, that we can live in the righteousness, peace, and joy 
of your kingdom, that we can unleash kingdom power in our own lives. Help us to be faithful to take that next step, to share that good news with someone, or to reach out and take hold of it for ourselves, perhaps for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.